Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Shred Stakes. I'm here with, I guess we'd call him my uh, new co-host, Riker Vance. Um, so yeah, there's an announcement, I guess, right there. So, um, But we're going to talk a little bit about the round of 32 games, some games that stuck out to us, and us also preview our thoughts about the Sweet 16, um, which has obviously been a lot different of the Sweet 16 than I think anyone expected. So let's uh, let, let's get into some of the games from the round of 32 that I think were interesting to, to go off of. And I mean, obviously, we, I mean, the thing the thing we got to start out with is, is the Princeton Tigers, mm-hmm. right? Winning 78 to 63 over Missouri, you know, dominated them, beat them by like 14 on the glass. I mean, they, they were 20 at one point in the game. What were your thoughts? watching Princeton as they go into a matchup with a Creighton team, which we'll talk about probably after this, that is really good. Um, you know, what do you think you saw from Princeton? What do you think is the keys for them being able to beat a really good team in Creighton? Yeah, I mean, um, I was actually at the airport when uh, Princeton was going going toe-to-toe with Missouri, and, you know, I just was watching it on, like, one of the TVs at the restaurant, and I was shocked, man. I mean, no disrespect. I remember we talked about it, no disrespect to Princeton, but we, you know, we thought they were going to lose in the first round, but to upset, you know, the number two seed and then to go on and beat another team, it shows that they're a viable team in the tournament. Um, I do think Creighton is a monster that they haven't quite faced yet. I think the, their offense, the, the potential that they bring to the offensive side of the ball with Neymar, uh, or Nebart, Nebart, Nebart. He's he's an absolute hooper. His brother was a hooper too back in the day. Um, and then they got some size too. They got a, the the seven four one kid who played very well in that Missouri game or uh, in the game. NC State in the yeah, first NC State. So uh, yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a tough matchup for the Tigers, but I'm excited that they're here and I'd love to see a 15 seed in it. Yeah, I think for me at least, uh, I mean, look, the kid Cockbrenner, the big guy from um, Creighton, is, you know, his biggest asset is that he's a great shot blocker. Like, offensively, he isn't the most skilled. Like, his footwork is not the most sound. Um, he got 30 points because he's, he's very good at going to the basket and stuff like that. But I guess my question is from, from that standpoint, like, what, are, what do you think Princeton can do to offset that? Because, look, you know, obviously Creighton's got good guards, right? You look at the fact that that kid Shireman can really shoot it. You got Nemhard, who said 20, had 30 points, I believe, against Baylor, and Trey Alexander. Um, but, you know, Princeton beat two very good teams, right? Arizona, who everyone thought, most people thought were, was an Elite Eight Final Four type team. And then, you know, Missouri, who has a, you know, spreads you out with five guards and a, you know, a team that, you know, was a very good team in the SEC. Like, what do you think can allow Princeton that can continue to go? Like, for me, I think it's just it's maintaining their pace and being able to take care of the ball. Um, and then being able to be effective in their switches, but I want to hear what your thoughts are a little bit from watching a little bit. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think it's going to be a very important defensive game for the Tigers, just because watching Creighton go against Baylor, the way they were able to stretch the floor and push the ball in transition and get wide open threes, demolish the Baylor Bears. Like they just were unable to stop it, and. Coming down late in the fourth quarter, you know, the Bears are starting to make a little bit of a push. You know, Creighton was up 18 at one point. Baylor brought it to about nine. And then Creighton just quick at the snap of the fingers, they boom, two back-to-back threes. It's almost Warriors, like, you know what I mean? Just a team that is that lethal from the three-point line, that's a team that's very, very dangerous to live by a three, die by a three. Yeah. So I think the Tigers have to put an emphasis on the three-point line. Like you said, the big the, the big man from Creighton, I'm forgetting his name now, but Cogburn, he's not the best on, he doesn't have the best footwork in the world. 
and he was just taller than all the Baylor. I mean, Baylor was playing five guards at one point, so he was just able to put it, you know, just put it in the hoop. So I think if you force the force Creighton off the three-point line and have them drive and attack more, and you can play more of like a pack defense, I think that's the way the Tigers can get it done. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, I think that's. I mean, it's, it's so interesting, obviously, with. You, know, you look at FDU, you know, winning against Purdue, and you look at Princeton's run, and you know, the, it just shows you again how the style of play that goes in really matters a lot, uh, which I think is just interesting. But let's shift over to, I think, I think what's going to be a classic Sweet 16 game: Gonzaga UCLA. Mm-hmm. And you and I both thought TCU was going to win. They almost got it done. Of course, they didn't, um, and that was because of. You know, the uh, people, some people call him Uncle Timmy. He's been there so long. But he is, you know, at, at this point, he's the best big, you know, I, I, I left because Jack, Jackson Davis and Edie are both done in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, Timmy's just, you know, when it comes to tournament time, the guy just produces. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's been like this all year. But, you know, again, UCLA's got Tommy Hawkins. they got Tiger Campbell. they got Amari Bailey. He's been playing really well. You know, you, and, and, and you know, they, they, are, they are a really good defensive team, like incredibly good defensively. But, you know, I want to hear what your thoughts are from watching those two, those two teams, I guess. You know, how did, like, if you're UCLA, what is your game plan on Timmy? Do you, do you double team him? Do you play him single coverage, try to take everyone else out? Um, you know, how, how exactly do you affect him catching the ball in the post or affecting him when he's trying to drive off the three-point off the three point line? It's just like, because he's so talented, I love to hear. As a guy who's a really, you know, you, you defend the post a lot in your career. I mean, you, you, that's just something you do as a, a power forward. What would be like your game plan if you're saying, I'm, I'm repairing with Drew Timmy, this is what I want to do? Yeah, Drew Timmy is just one of those classic college Gonzaga bigs that just is so good for four years and is just dominates during his college career. And I absolutely love to see it. Um, huge shout out to him, man. He's, he's fun to watch. Um, but UCLA, I think they got a monster to post. And for those out there that don't, might not know what that means, that just means a sharp double team right on the post, uh, probably from an off-ball defender. Um, and, you know, you just, you make the postman have to pick it up and have to, you know, make another guy beat you. Um, and I think that's what UCLA is going to have to do. They're going to have to monster the post. And then once Timmy, Timmy's a very good playmaker, that's the, that's the most important thing to think about. So once he swings it out, UCLA has to do a great job of playing some scramble defense and getting rotations in. Um, this is a game that I think Jalen Clark would be huge in, um, but I think I think I think it's possible. I think it's fine. I've seen you know Drew Timmy is an absolutely unbelievable player, but it is possible I believe to be Gonzaga. I've had them going down to TCU mostly because I thought um, I thought TCU was going to be able to figure it out, but it just all the credit to Drew Timmy. I'm curious to hear your opinion on this as a once dominant postman yourself. <laughs> What gives you the most trouble when you catch that ball on the block? What defensive scheme do you think UCLA should put into place in order to give them the best shot to win this game? So I like the idea of monstering the post, but I think it's when Drew is driving and then has his back turned to defender. Because then when he spins back, the double's right there, as opposed to what TC was doubling him when he caught the ball. And he and he's very good at seeing the floor when it's happening. And he also catches it off the block. He's not a guy that really, unless he's pinning you right in the middle of the paint, when he catches the block, he's way off the block where he kind of can face and take multiple dribbles. Cool. And and so I, I mean, obviously, what's tough about that is because he he can handle the ball. 
right? So, and, he, and, and he has a guy you could handle. He's not the most athletic guy, but he has good footwork and a good handle. So when you give that guy an opportunity to where he can get into his moves and one-on-one and stuff, right? But if you give him the opportunity to also see the floor, that stuff. But when he's trying to drive in the middle or he's trying to drive, you know, his post-ups, if, if, when he spins back, that double team can be right there. I feel like that's going to be the way they can turn him over. Because he has proven to be a good passing big, but he also could, when you do do that, he's proven to be turnover prone. Yep. And, you know, you have to make guys like, I think you have to, sh- you know, completely shut down Strother because he's their one consistent shooter. Yep. And then I, you have to make the other guys beat. You have to make, and I love Anton Watson. I think what he does as a utility guy is phenomenal. But he's not like an elite level three point shooter. Yep. Right, uh, Nolan Hickman's very inconsistent. You know, you look at you know the team across the board. You know, it's, it, it, it's, I think that's where the key is. And I think if you're now, let's go to the UCLA side. From my opinion, I look at UCLA from an offensive standpoint, and you have to be able to spread Gonzaga out because they're a bigger team than they are. Yep. And I think you have to put Jaime Hawkins in a lot of ice situations where he can be able to go one on one. He's so hard to stop in one on one situations, and that's what they like to do. They, they like to just ISO him. But I think it's going to also come down to but the key is we know what Hawkins and Tiger Campbell are going to be able to provide. Mm-hmm. I think the key to this game, frankly, is the shooting of David Singletary or Singleton mm-hmm. and um, the play of Amari Bailey because he's so inconsistent. But when he gets going, one of the most talented freshmen in the country. But what, what, from what, if you're going to look, look at the UCLA side, right? If you're Gonzaga, what do you what do you employ to try to shut down Hawkins? Because he's a guy that can shoot the three, get the mid range. Can post you up, right? You know, take you to the basket. He's very fundamentally sound. What do you do? And then also, if you're usually white, how do you combat that? What are you looking at? Because I think you know everyone is looking at Gonzaga and saying they're maybe a completer team because Jalen Clark's not there for UCLA. But I want to hear what you think from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Haskez is. I mean, I was watching the game against uh, UCLA played Northwestern. Yes, they played Northwestern, and I was watching that game, and Haskez has like almost 1,800 career points for UCLA, and that is crazy. So that is just shows the skill set that he has from his freshman days in order to average that many points and score from all three levels. So he's a tough man to stop. I think I think it's going to be very important for Gonzaga to play within the gaps and kind of show him as many bodies as possible, similar to Drew Timmy, uh, just because when you have the best player like that, you have to make other players feel as though that they have to beat you. You have to, at least you have to, you have to try your hardest to do so. But I think UCLA and why I have UCLA winning this game event, or in retrospect is because I think UCLA has more talented guys with it behind Hawkins. I think with Tyler Campbell, Amari Bailey, as you mentioned, I think they have a more like more flashy kind of just push the ball and go get a bucket type of group. And I think that is going to, because both of these teams are so well coached, they're so well, you know, they're so well, they have such good chemistry with one another, it's going to be a dogfight. And I mean, they're both, they're both uh, out west as well. So there's even like a little bit of territorial, you know, rivalry there. So I, I'm loving this game. I think it's going to be a great game. But I think UCLA, or I think UCLA has to really focus on trusting other guys. Hawkins has to focus on trusting other guys because he's going to get singled out without a shadow of a doubt. So I think he's going to have to work in Tyler Campbell, Amari Bailey, and those, those um, in his teammates. And I think I think they're going to pull it out. I don't know how you're feeling about it. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, I'll speak with that. I, I, th- I think UCLA is going to pull it, pull it out. Um, I had TCU beating UCLA, but I think I think the defense of UCLA is just something different um, than 
the defense of TCU. TCU is a very athletic team, but I think, again, UCLA, Mick Cronin is the one that is a defensive mastermind, so I like that. But look, I want to get to something that I've been dying to talk to you about, and that's because you picked this team and you saw, I think, their success where I didn't. I mean, I think I saw the success of UConn, but I did not see Arkansas in the sense I think that you did. Now, look, I got to give them credit. I think they beat Kansas doing it their way. Eric Musselman, I don't know what it is about any NCAA tournament. He always finds a way to get it done. But I want to hear what did you see from Arkansas, and how do you feel about them going against UConn, who does look like, in my opinion, right now the most complete team right now in the NCAA tournament, but Arkansas beat a Kansas team that everyone was saying could win a national championship with or without Bill Self, right? So what did you see from Arkansas that made you think they were going to beat Kansas and maybe can make you think that they're a team that can go to the OVAs type deal? No, I mean, I just, I think Arkansas has a lot of good pieces that with like within their starting lineup, especially Nick Smith Jr., I think he's an absolute baller. He didn't have the best game of this past game, but I still think he is an absolute legit NBA talent, one of the best freshmen in the country. You got Anthony Black, 6'8 guard, just a tough player to stop, a guy that can go get you a bucket and play solid defense. You got Jordan Walls, too, another, I believe he's a freshman or a sophomore, and he's definitely an underclassman, and he's just he's just a gadget guy. He plays incredible defense, energy guy, some, you know, something, he brings everything to the table. And I think just with those freshman pieces alongside some uh, older companionship and uh, an Arkansas coach that has proven in the past that he can win at this level. I just, I don't know. I, I'm looking through the season and the talent that they have. Sometimes they can just come together within a tournament. And I think it just was going to, I just predicted, I thought it was going to for Arkansas. And I, you know, I'm glad I was right. I'm happy for them. I don't know. I mean, were you completely shocked to see Arkansas here? Or, I mean, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, Kansas was a great squad. But, right. You know. Um, no, yeah, I think no, that's a great question. Um, no, I wasn't totally shocked by it because, I mean, Arkansas, you know, was a team that really competed well in the Maui tournament to start the year. And, you know, I knew what Ricky Council could do from a scoring perspective. Um, he's the guy with two big repos late for Arkansas for those who didn't watch the game. Um, but I think that the thing that I think jumped out to me is the fact that or how Arkansas can um, take you off the bounce. You know, I mean, we know the importance of trying to stop guys off the dribble, how, how tough it is to, you know, when guards are able to get in the paints, get buckets at the rim quickly, especially that opens up everything else, right? It opens up dump offs down low for bigs, opens up three-point shooting. And when you consistently are able to do that, your defense is going to be having to force to be in rotations. And... You know, Kansas, I think the problem is, again, is Grady Dick struggled. Uh, didn't get many looks. And Eric Musselman said that was kind of his game plan. And I think when they play a team like UConn, the one guy they can totally take away is Jordan Hawkins. Yes. Um, because they have the length to do it. And, you know, but I, I think Danny Hurley's been proven, in my opinion, to be able to get shots from The reason why I'm picking UConn is because Adama Sanogo is dominating. And... I knew based on seeing him last year where he wasn't as polished as he is now, you know, what he could do. Did I see this? Not necessarily because, again, him and Kling in that 7-2 big man that comes off the bench, having kind of splitting minutes a lot of the year, and, you know, they've both been playing really solid basketball. I mean, has been a great piece off the bench, and Sonogo is a first-team all-big East guy. But 
I think the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying I wasn't shocked about Arkansas is because of the talent they have. But I do think UConn is a more complete team. They have a really deep bench, a really good team in terms of their offense, in terms of the assets they can go to. But I do think it's going to be a very close game. And the reason by aiming that is because Musselman's a great defensive coach. He knows how to make great defensive adjustments. And again, they're, they're a tough team to stop off the bounce. Right, you have four four guys in the court that can all kind of get their to get a bucket. Debo, De, uh, Debo Davis, Council, Black, all these guys, you know, make, makes it tough. So I look at all that stuff, um, and that's kind of the the the, the difficulty. Um, but what what are you thinking about in terms of what makes you what, what do you think makes UConn so dangerous? Right? Like what do, what do you think is working for them? So well? they, they they scored seventy points on a really good St. Mary's defense. You know, being out of the gym, um, and, and they, they turn this all around like the second half too. So it's like, what are your thoughts on that uh, as they go into this game? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it best with one word. And it's, it's Sonogo. Uh, you know, he's he's an absolute monster. When you have that type of dominant player in the paint, it just opens everything up for the guards. It opens driving lanes. It does so much for a team. So I think just. The, his presence is going to be absolutely felt this game. And I think it's really going to come down to Jordan Hawkins. I mean, I, I was watching one of the UConn games and he, you know, he had zero points in the first half, 0 for 6, you know what I mean? I, th I believe it was St. Mary's. They were doing a pretty good defensive job on him. Comes out in the second half, first play of the game, comes off a, comes off an away screen, catches it, and won three. And I was like, oh, no, UConn's winning. Like, it's not even a question because when your best or when your most lethal scorer comes out, of that half and hits that first shot and one three, you know it's you know he's you know he, you know he's gonna catch fire. So uh, I think if Jordan Hawkins can come out and score the ball at an efficient rate alongside Sonogo, who I think is kind of an automatic, an automatic twenty and ten at this point, just the way oh, he's been playing. I think I think it gives you kind of very good shot to win this game. A very very good shot. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no. So I'm I'm very very excited for that. But kind of, you know, more on a different note, uh, we got Kansas State versus Michigan State. And I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to see you go first on this one. How are you feeling about this game? Are we going with Kansas State or are we going with the Spartans? I'll be honest. I was shocked Michigan State got by Marquette. <laughs> uh, their defensive game plan on Tyler Kolick was amazing. Um, he was two for eight shooting. You know, really was not a huge factor in that game. Uh, they forced him to get a lot of foul trouble by attacking him defensively. You know, Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard, um, along with Joey Hauser, you know, that's a really good three players to go. I mean, Tyson Walker can really make things tough from a ability to shoot tough pull-up jumpers. Hogard's a really, you know, tough guard, has a swagger about him. And, you know, Hauser's a tough matchup because he, he's six foot nine, can really shoot the three, you know, can pull up off the dribble, and he's a good post player. You know, he's a, you know, and he's a good rebounder. So, I mean, and Tom is their head coach. That's a, that makes it tough. But I think, I think, you know, Jerome Tang has done an incredible job at Kansas State, and I think Kansas State can really push the tempo in this game. I think, you know, Marquise Noel, uh, Keontae Johnson, you know, those guys, man, they're good. Um, and I, I like Kansas State because I think with their ability to push tempo, I think Michigan State is able to play at a close. They were able to control tempo against Marquette very well, keep it kind of a lower you know, possession game. But Kansas State's very disruptive. Marquette's not as good defensively as Kansas State. I think Kansas State has better athletes. I thought Marquette was a better team, frankly, than Kansas State most the rest of the year, but so I could be wrong on this. But I I, I think again, you know, it, it's it's also they're playing in the Big Apple, where Marquise Noel's from. 
He's going to show out for New York City. Now, I've doubted the Spartans before. I can totally be wrong again. But I think Kansas State has the pieces of, of a team that can, get, can make a Elite Eight appearance. But I'd love, to, I'd love to hear what you're thinking on that. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to have to agree with you on this. I do so very hesitantly because, like you said, with Michigan State and Tom Izzo, man, Michigan State has, one of, has been one of the best teams at executing under two minutes. They did it in the Marquette game. They pulled away late, and they, I mean, they've done it multiple times throughout this season. Uh, they just, you know, something about having such an experienced coach. I mean, it's Tom Izzo. You know, he's going to have his guys right. ready to execute when, when it needs to get done. So I think it's very difficult for me to do this, but I'm going to have to go with Kansas State, man. Watching the way Noel played um, in that uh, round of 32 game was just special, man. It was so much fun to watch. And Keldon Johnson, I mean, that's my that's my guy from Florida, man. He went to UF. Um, I'm so happy to see him back on the court after that scary injury, and he's killing it too. So I'm going to go with Kansas State as well, I think. I think they got – they. I think they're a better overall team than Michigan State, but – like you said, Marquette, on paper, Marquette was too. So don't be surprised if it comes down to late game execution and Michigan State pulls it out. But I'm going to go. I'm, I'm rocking Kansas State. So let's, uh, I, I guess what, I, what I'm thinking about we do now is we, 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 pick, we pick a game and one of us just kind of goes at it with the analysis. So um, with this game we talked about when we did our bracket breakdown, which you know, for those who didn't watch it, it's an hour long, so bear with the time there. The time there, but um, I, I think the, we talked about Alabama and San Diego State, and how um, you know we talked about this game. You know, I think we both expected both teams to move on, and you know, San Diego State did it in a dominant fashion. So did Alabama. You know, Javon Clooney played great for Al, for Alabama, and you know, I think it was a committee effort for San Diego State against Furman. But what is your? Are you still sticking with Alabama at this point? And uh, if you are, what is what's kind of the reasoning behind that based on what you've seen? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm definitely still sticking with Alabama here, uh, just because of the, the sheer talent that they have. I mean, Javon Quinterly is playing like like the the player that that most people expected him to be out of high school. He's one of the highest ranked point guards out of high school, and I think he always had that potential. He definitely always had the skill. I just think he, now he's found the right fit in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And last year he got hurt in the tournament, so I'd love to see him playing so well this year. Um, and then, you know, you look at a guy like Brandon Miller, who hit on any given day can give you 20, 25, 30. Um, and I think, I think um, just with, I mean, San Diego State showed um, something I mean, we, we expected them to come out and play absolutely hard, and they just they outclassed both of their opponents. But I think Alabama's just too too big of a two three headed monster for San Diego State to, to overcome. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I, I guess I'll take the Miami Houston one. And Miami dominated Indiana, um, and uh, uh, doing it their way, fast paced, disrupted defensively on Trace Jackson Davis, and they kind of took everyone else out of the game. You know, Jalen Hutchipino was a non-factor, Miller Cop non-factor, and you kind of go down the line. Besides Trace Jackson Davis, everyone else was kind of a non-factor. But then Indiana did nothing. Like, they think they scored two points total. And, you know, Miami, that's how they're going to win, right? They're a team of Norchet O'Meara, who's been a great, I mean, he was injured, unfortunately, in the ACC tournament against Duke. But since he's been back, he's been averaging 10 points and 15 rebounds. Huge, right? You, you look at Isaiah Wong, you look at all these guys, right? Like, the, like you know, they're a team that, you know, plays well together. I still think the way that Houston played in their game against Auburn, um, they, they blew them out. They, 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 they played their game. And, you know, having, Mark, having Marcus Sasser there, 
makes a huge difference for me. And his ability to score, they have other guys who can really make plays. Tremont Mark, Jairus Walker, you can go down the line, Jamal Shedd. But I think Houston's going to win that game. And yeah, I mean, I just think that that's where I'm leaning on that one. Yeah, I assume you agree. I mean, if you don't, you can feel free to chime in. Well, we haven't talked about the Tennessee game yet, so we won't mention my dookies. But, you know, I originally originally had Houston making the final and losing to Duke. So I do have there now my pick to win the NCAA tournament. And I think, you know, the game against Auburn, they went down at half. They were down 10 and a half, I believe. And just to come out in that second half and just, you know, they just – they just showed that they were the better team, to be honest. I mean, you got Sasser back, and he is just such such a threat when he's on the court, and he just makes everyone around him better. You got Jairus Walker, who um, it proved to be an elite defender on uh, Johnny Broom, uh, one of the Auburn's one of Auburn's big time big men. And you know, I think they just they got a lot of dogs on Houston, man. And I think. I think they're going to keep rolling. I think Miami's going to give them a game. I really do. I think there's a lot of a lot of talent on, on that Miami roster, and I think they prove it winning the ACC regular season. But I think Houston, I think Houston, I got Houston winning it as well. Houston winning it as well. Let's go to you. What are your thoughts about Tennessee, Florida, Atlantic? I mean, Tennessee, I, I was shocked they beat Duke. Um, held, held Duke to the lowest total of points they've ever had in the NCAA tournament, 52 points. And... Uh, that kid Olivier, um, I forget how to that last name, the kid from from uh, uh, Finland, um, 27 points. He's only averaging like 10 coming into the game. Um, but Florida Atlantic, you know, big win against FDU, came out uh, late game in that one, and he kind of won the game. Um, I, I, I'm thinking Tennessee in this one. Um, I just think that they're a better defensive team, a more a bigger a bigger team as well. But FAU is very good. So, I mean, again, you know FAU just because, I mean, you're from Florida. You're kind of more aware of the school than I am. Um, just That just makes sense because you're from the state. Um, but in a sense, who are you looking at in this game, you know, as the, as the victor? And what do you think is going to go in, you think, for both teams winning this one? Yeah. No, I mean, I'd love to see FAU in the Sweet 16, man. Shout out, shout out to the Owls, man. Shout out to the Owls. But, um... I think, uh, I mean, that FAU versus FDU game was very entertaining. Both teams making big time shots and big time moments. You know, that, the last six minutes of that game was just big shot after big shot, awesome time. Um, and I just love to see, you know, like mid-major, even to lower, you know, quote unquote lower major schools, they got players, man, and they proved it. They, they proved it on the biggest stage possible. So mm-hmm. I love I love that FAU's in the Sweet 16, but I watched every painstaking minute of that dude versus Tennessee game, man. And Tennessee just, they just got into Duke's grill. I mean, we were unable to dribble the ball without a Tennessee guy just affecting the basketball, just to to a point where it stalled our offense completely. I mean, Duke had 21 points at half. It's the lowest, lowest um, halftime, you know, halftime score Duke's ever had in the tournament. So, I mean, they just completely locked us up. And we had, Duke had a very good second half. We were shooting at one point like 65% from the field and Tennessee was still eight, 10 points ahead because they were doing the exact same thing on the offensive side. Um, I, I forget his name, but their point guard absolutely controlled the game, absolutely controlled the tempo. Scoby, yeah, to Scoby. Yeah. Absolutely killed us. Absolutely killed us, and then I don't know how to pronounce his last, but Olivia, yeah, the, 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 the power forward for Tennessee for those who are watching. Power forward for Tennessee from Finland, 
I mean, the way they, we couldn't, we could not keep the ball in front of us, um, especially with the point guard. So we went into a two, three zone and the way he was able to identify the weak spots in the zone, get himself open and then just hit wide open shots. I mean, they, they just, they just outclassed us. I think Duke's youth kind of showed, you know, at one point, four freshmen, one sophomore on the court. I think, if, you know, in a big time game like that with a brand new head coach, first year head coach, I think it catches up with you and sometimes, you know, a team like Tennessee that maybe we didn't expect to have as much talent or as much success as they would get past them. So I do have Tennessee in this over my FAU Owls, uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited to watch that game for sure. Since this will segue into, I guess, the game, the last game I want to talk about. Talk about like what, at least from like our perspective, those maybe who aren't as aware, what like that type of defense from Tennessee, like how that really can disrupt your offense. You know, being able to pressure the ball and be physical because like we we faced that in, 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 certainly in our careers and like and, and, and it's something that every defensive coach um, always says is like a, a really a really effective tough way to you know for an offense. But it sounds like simply oh you pressure the ball instead of whatever. But you know you see teams break that. Why was it? Why do you think Tennessee was so effective on Duke and that? Like what like what Duke what did Duke not do to combat the pressure? Like why why was Tennessee so effective? Because again like. You, we, we both watched the game, but like I, I just want to hear from your thoughts, like why you think that was so effective. Yeah. No, I mean, when no matter how simple of an offense a basketball team runs, at the end of the day, the ball has to move in a certain fashion, and people have to move in a certain fashion. And when you and when you have a team like Tennessee that a couple days ago, who just makes everything difficult, every step you take, every dribble you take difficult, it disrupts the flow of the entire offense. There's no practice, there's no simulation you can make for a guy that's standing right in front of you and doesn't want you to move. And I think Duke, I mean Kyle Kyle Filipowski got beat up. He had a cut under his eye, got fouled multiple times within the first half. And he showed, I mean, still every time attacking the rim strong, facilitating, doing what he can to get the offense going. Tyrese Proctor played a heck of a game as well. Um, Jeremy Roach got in foul trouble kind of early. Um, and I think that kind of affected his game and made him less likely to drive in case of an offensive foul. And just how, you know, the you know Tennessee was all in the gaps and everything. So they would slide and boom, try to take that charge. Right. So it kind of just affects, it affects Duke's offense even from that standpoint as well. Because if Jeremy Roach isn't going, you don't really have that. I mean, Tyrese Proctor stepped up and made some big time shots, but just the, the, the floor general is going to get downhill and just get others involved in the game. It's just we don't have another guy like that on Duke, and I think Tennessee, Tennessee exploited it. Um, I think it was a very, very well coached game, a very well, a very great, a great plan going into the game, and Tennessee went out, played their butts off, and executed it. So, yeah. so let, let, let's let's shift over um, a little bit into the um, so. Obviously, we have, we, you, have, you have Tennessee beating FAU, um, and I guess we, we like, you know, I, I think what, what's important about what we, we just talked about is the importance of the physicality of defense, right? Like pushing teams out of spots, as you articulated, you know, Jerry Rhodes not being able to get downhill because of them always, you know, Tennessee being able to be really aggressive in those gaps. It's going to be tough for a team that likes to drive the basketball in FAU because if their ability because Tennessee can stunt and then get out the three point shooters, which FAU does really well. But I think that applies really well to this Xavier Texas game because Texas ability to defend, right? And they're gonna they're gonna be pressuring Soleil Boom all game, Colby Jones all game, Adam Kunkel all game, especially Kunkel because Kunkel and Boom are great shooters. 
Colby Jones as well is, is, is as well. Um, but I think that the biggest thing for Texas is the X factor of Dylan Sue. And I think that his ability to, um, you know, make plays for this offense. And when I mean, you look at, you know, the, you know, the ability of him in short roles to be a dominant player, right? And that's so hard for those who, I guess, are trying to understand what I, what I mean by that. See, what teams in college have to do is they either switch, they either do a hard edge, which is like a kind of an aggressive trap or blitz of a ball screen, or they kind of do a flat edge drop coverage where the big kind of lays back to stay between the, the ball and the roller. The issue is when you have those short rolls, the guy's not rolling all the way to the basket, and it's, just, it's tough to recover back to that because he gets it off really quick. And he gets it off athletically, too. He jumps very high and gets it off. And from my angle, I just think that that's why I like Texas because I think Ronnie Taylor's done a great job. You know, he, he should be the new head coach of Texas next year. If he's not, they they, they definitely don't want their program to go in the right direction. Um, all jokes aside, I, I just think he's done a great job. But um, I, I do want to hear what you think about it, and you know, who do you like? I got I got Texas. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a great game. I think all these games are gonna be great games, to be honest. But um, I think that Texas is gonna move on. I think in this one. But who do you like and why? Yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm gonna agree with you yet again. I mean, I think Texas. You mentioned it. Their head coach taking over midseason and continuing to keep this team afloat is absolutely incredible. We we discussed that earlier. Uh, it's just, I mean, just to rally the troops and not to be cliche, but to rally the troops and to continue being successful. I mean, just all all kudos to him. And I think you know, two guys really come down in this game. You mentioned one of them, Desu. We mentioned him in our when we were talking about him, and you know, we were going through all all uh, round of sixty four. And I mean, just his ability to not even stress the floor because he's not even shooting threes, but to short roll and hit that jump shot, it makes the big guy recover to him, which means Marcus Carr, who absolutely obliterated Penn State with a pick and roll game, his ability to split the tr- split the, split the double team, extend the ball out, hit a shot, or just drive by and finish at the rim, absolutely incredible. He's a very multi multi threat point guard in the pick and roll game. And with him and Desu, man, that is a tough combo to stop. And then not to mention Jabari Rice, who is just one of the best shooters in college basketball. So one of the best pump fakes, too. <laughs> one of the best pump fakes as well. He gets, you know, he gets people, gets people jumping for sure. But uh, I got Texas winning this game too, man. I think, um, I think Desu is gonna really be able to take over. And I think the experience of Marcus Carr and Jabari Rice will, I mean, the, you know, to have good guard play this late in the tournament, man, I'm gonna keep saying it. So I got Texas as well. Yeah, I, I, I guess to wrap up, let's just go with kind of two big takeaways we've taken so far from the first two rounds. First three rounds, let's count the first four into the third round. Uh, but I guess for me, first two things I've taken in is I think how for real UConn has looked. And obviously the magic of the upset, right? You look at, you know, multiple teams getting upset um, and Princeton being the, obviously the forefront of that, FDU being the forefront of that. But you look at Furman, I mean, you look at um, other teams across the board, like FAU winning, and, you know, you look at Arkansas over Kansas, and and all these different things, Um, you know, Michigan State over Marquette. I just think you have to look at the fact that UConn looks like they're for real in the magic of the upset, which is, you know, ruins everyone's brackets, ruins everyone's fun for the bracket. But I do think that that's what makes this tournament the best tournament out there in sports. Because it's just like the, the ability to win one game is just so special. But what are you, what are your two takeaways you would say? I would say my first takeaway would just be the 
like the importance of having post or a tournament experience. I mean, you're looking at teams that are mostly freshmen, or at least the people that consume the most playing time are mostly freshmen. Most of the teams are out. So I think, you know, having, having, you know, a couple talented freshmen here and there never hurts, but I think having core, a core group of guys that have been there before and a, you know, in a system and a coach that has been there before has proven yet again to uh, be very successful in the tournament. And I think, you know, you kind of mentioned it earlier with the upset madness, but you know, it's kind of that any given Sunday mentality, man. I mean, basketball is a beautiful game, but at the end of the day, if one team is just putting the ball in the basket at a better rate that night, that's, you know what I mean? That's all you need to win. It's, you know, win or go home, one and done. So I think that's what makes college basketball so thrilling. It's what makes March Madness the, the right, you know, the spectacle that it is. And I'm so excited to watch the, um, watch Sweet 16 and OB Day this weekend, so yeah. Well, for everyone out there, Ranker and I will be definitely back after these Sweet 16 games talking about more of this stuff. Uh, we'll probably be talking about it kind of throughout the tournament. Um, and, you know, just know that this guy has become my new basketball co-host. So anything college basketball going on, anything when we get to the NBA playoffs going on, he and I will be on together discussing it, um, which I'm really excited about and obviously really appreciated it um, and everything like that. But make sure to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and look out for more episodes coming soon. And, you know, excited to keep giving you guys this content. Have a great one.